0: Welcome to this week's In the Oil Patch. My name's Alvin Bailey here with Kim Bilotto. we got a great guest on tap for you today. In the next segment, we've got John LaRue of the Port of Corpus Christi. But right now, Kim, you've got David Blackman on the line.
1: Thanks, Alvin. David, welcome back to In the Oil Patch radio show. How are you this week?
2: I'm great, great. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, Needless to say, there's a lot going on in the Trump administration and a whole lot going on in oil and gas. I want to jump right in because we've had a lot of changes occurring. The first big thing is oil prices. They're they're sort of firming up, which, you know, have some uh, big implications. So let's talk a little bit about that. Where do you think we're heading with the firming up of oil prices?
2: Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, we're up a little over 10 percent now uh, here over the last couple of weeks, which is good. Still too low, still below 50.
1: Um, right, we need more.
2: Uh, right, but WTI is below 50. The Brent crude price is up above 50, just about a $3 spread. And, and you know, and so where are we? Well, we're, we're essentially the same price for oil right now that we, we had 15 months ago. Um, uh, a lot has changed in those fifteen months. We were running twice as many rigs as we were running fifteen months ago, and right. there's been a lot of job increases in the industry and and you know stronger drilling budgets. But this is probably the peak for now, okay? we're We're at a peak, and it's going to level off, and it's going to hold probably pretty steady right here um, through the end of the year because all these companies have put their second half of the year uh, drilling budgets in place. And they have X uh, amount of dollars to spend and, and that will finance a certain number of rigs and not more than that. So uh, this is probably pretty close to where we're at right now. 952 uh, was the last rig count, uh, which is double what it was a year ago. Um, it's probably gonna be about where it's going to stay through the end of 2017.
1: So what we're seeing is what what we're pretty much going to expect. Uh, barring some major world event, pretty much what that's, we're seeing is, is, is right. livable. It's manageable. It's just uh, uh, you know just preparing and continuing to stay in the the where we are in this lull. Well, let me talk to you though about rig counts. Um, those two have kind of leveled off since last month. Yep. You know, as you predicted, I believe back in like early June. So let's talk about that prediction that you had about rigs um, leveling off.
2: Yeah. So I mean, exactly what we talked about in early June. These companies that are drilling most of these wells are corporations. They have their budgeting processes. They put a, they put very robust budgets in place for the first six months of the year in January because the price was up well above fifty. Uh, then, starting in April and May, they revised those budgets for the second half of the year when the price was sitting in the low forties, and decided, "Oops, you know, we're drilling too many wells. We're not going to drill as many wells in the second half of the year." So the budgets are smaller. Uh, they're not tiny like they were in 2014 and 2015 and 2016 but they're smaller you know they, they cut back some and it, but, but again what it is so so what happened was starting in in july 1st the rig count just kind of stopped growing and and it's we've all, we're only added seven rigs this whole month so far where we added 300 the first six months of the year so um
1: Oh, the, the good probably, old days. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Right. And so we're not in a big boom, but the good news is we're not going to be in a big bust either.
1: That's right. You know, we're, that's we're right. just going
2: to chug small along wins. through the end of this year. It's yeah.
1: small wins. But we did have a big win or the energy industry did have a big win in hydraulic fracturing in Broomfield, uh, Colorado. Tell us a little bit about what happened there.
2: Yeah, Broomfield's a little town uh, in the uh, eastern part of Colorado, uh, where activists got engaged as they've done in a dozen other little towns uh, uh, over the Rocky Mountain Front area over the last four years, and and they put up an initiative on the ballot that would ban hydraulic fracturing in this little town, and they got beat by uh, about a two-to-one margin, which was uh, just a huge win for the industry and just another sign that this this fad, uh, frankly, is what it's been uh, in the environmental, left-wing environmental movement in this country to ban hydraulic fracturing is failing and it's fading. and And which is why, one of the main reasons why, we've seen these groups over the last year turn their attention more to the pipeline part of the business and away from these efforts to ban hydraulic fracturing.
1: Right. They're just
2: not winning anymore.
1: Yeah. Well, why? I mean, so they're demonizing pipelines, uh, yep. and the, but but what's the purpose of that? Are they less organized than the upstream part, the oil and gas uh, sector, or what do you think yeah. is causing them to go after pipelines?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, they they latched onto the pipelines uh, because they fought Keystone XL. You know, they they got the win from the Obama administration on Keystone XL, which was held up for six years for no good legal reason. And so they decided to go after Dakota Access and and a bunch of other pipelines in the Northeast because they saw that the pipeline industry is not prepared to fight these kinds of of protest actions. Uh, Now the pipeline industry though is, is getting better prepared and more effective at doing it. And we have an administration that follows the rule of law now Um, so it, it remains to be seen how long these groups are going to be willing to focus on the pipes, uh, because they're not winning those battles either, frankly. Uh, they've won a few, but, but those, those kinds of wins are going to get harder and harder to get. So, um, you know, these people are going to go where they think the industry's soft spots are. And, um, so we'll just have to see how that develops over the next year. It's kind of unpredictable at this point.
1: Well, something really shocking happened uh, with the Dakota Access protesters admitting <laughs> in the news in a news conference on Monday that they had engaged in domestic terrorism. Tell me, what do
3: you think yeah. about that?
2: Yeah, uh, two two of these people. There was a they were holding a, a press conference. Um, you know, you know, uh, bad mouthing Dakota Access Pipeline again and. Uh, Newsflash! That game is yeah, over. Yeah, right. And so, the two of them actually admitted that they had been responsible for several incidents in which uh, very critical safety equipment and valves uh, to the Dakota Access Pipeline were damaged and and or destroyed. And they admitted that they were the ones who did that at this press conference. At the end of the press conference, they were arrested because that's when they finished the press conference. These two people, uh, two young ladies, actually turned around, and they both had uh, tar tools with them, and they started bashing a a sign that was on state property. So the state troopers there arrested them and put them in jail. I don't know if uh, there's going to be any investigation on the domestic terrorism angle, but there certainly should be, because what they did was incredibly dangerous and could have killed people, could have killed themselves and other people living nearby. Exactly. Uh, if they had called, caused a major rupture in a big interstate pipeline like that. So it's, it's just, it's unbelievably irresponsible. And hopefully they'll be prosecuted.
1: Wow. Well, um, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about Trump. Uh, and we've had a lot of movement recently with the administration as well, pertaining to, uh, you know, him being very, very engaged in oil and gas. So tell me, what's the movement with Trump right now and the energy sector?
2: Uh, you know, it's it's slowed down from the first few months of the administration, but uh, there's still a lot of things going on. They they've really sped up the permitting processes for exports, which is great. They are uh, implementing uh, reforms that's that are really going to speed up permitting processes for drilling on federal lands uh, and approval of new refinery uh, expansions and and building of new refineries. So it's mainly focused right now on these administrative processes that have been used so effectively during the Obama years to actually slow, slow the industry things down
1: things down. Yeah.
2: Now they're going to be that's going to be reversed and they're going to be used to speed the industry up. And and we're just right in that transition period right
1: now. Right. Well, uh, what happens if Trump does get uh tax reform through? How how much do you think it will affect the oil and gas industry, especially spurring a lot of the you know mid-size operators, mid-sized service companies. Um, I mean, what do you see happening with the oil and gas industry if tax cuts? Yeah, gets through? I
2: mean, it could be incredibly stimulative, depending on, you know, of course, it depends on what's in a final bill. Uh, we know what's in the House version of the tax reform bill. And, and one of the big pieces of it is it would allow uh, corporations and partnerships and privately owned companies to expense capital investments during the year they are incurred. So instead of having to depreciate these things over 5, 10, 25 years, uh, you get to expense it the year you take it, right? The year you spend that money. And that would be gigantically stimulative to the oil and gas industry, particularly smaller companies that, you know, have a hard time raising capital and making Major investments, if you're able to expense that money rather than having to capitalize it over uh, several years, uh, you're going to be doing a lot more capital investment. Um, and it's based on those of us who are old, like me, and lived through the 80s and were adults in the 80s, remember how much capital investment and infrastructure and new buildings and new plant equipment went in after the Reagan tax cuts were put into effect and and that wasn't even an expensing of capital costs that was just accelerated depreciation you know instead of having to take 10 years to to re, recoup your costs you're able to do it in three years so as so it sped up uh, capitalization that was incredibly stimulative to the economy um, so if that if that's included it will be it would be huge to uh, you know these capital intensive industries like oil and gas.
1: Well, it seems like Trump is doing some amazing things for the oil and gas industry and, well, heck, even the American voters. So hopefully yeah. we see Obamacare get off the table and uh, out the door with some reforms or repeal. And hopefully we are on to uh, tax reform and uh, spurring the economy. So, David, once again, thank you for coming on the show today, talking to us a little bit about oil and politics. And we look forward to talking to you next week.
2: Great. Talk to you then.
0: David Blackman, thanks for joining us again this week, and thank you for being our resident energy expert. Right now, we do need to take a quick break. On the flip side, we've got John LaRue from the Port of Corpus Christi, and we'll be right back with more in the oil patch.
2: PISA is the Petroleum Equipment and Services Association who is the unified voice for the energy industry's service, supply, and manufacturing organizations, advocating and supporting continued achievements in job creation, technological innovation, and economic stability. PISA provides corporate membership opportunities in two categories, industry and allied. Over the years, a lot of amazing companies have become members of PISA, but don't take my word for it. Click on the directory on their website and see for yourself. In order to become a member of PISA, all you need to do is go to pesa.org. Click on the membership tab and fill out an application. Once again, that's pesa.org. Hey,
0: 2016 is a great time to grow your business and there is no time like the present to improve the awareness of your brand. info at shalemag.com and welcome back to in the oil patch today we've got with us john larue he's the executive director from the port of corpus christi and it's great to have him on the show with us kim
1: well john welcome to in the oil patch radio show
4: thank you kim a pleasure to talk to you as as always and uh really a, a pleasure to be on your show
1: You know, I'm so excited to have uh, you on the show to talk about the Port of Corpus Christi. And part of it is, I have to be honest, um, I have a a deep love for uh, Corpus Christi and its residents as as I have a home over there. And so um, I'm part of that fabric. And I've seen the investment that uh, the Port of Corpus Christi has made through the years, to really um, bring this port up to being a superstar. And and so that's what I wanna get in today is the discussion of um, what good leadership, what good management, what good vision, visionaries, uh, port commissioners have done an excellent job. Just really overall great leadership has led to where the Port of Corpus Christi is uh, in being recognized internationally as this superstar uh, number one port uh in the nation and so i want to get into that where you know my understanding is this is a historical time for you guys um there has never in your history of the port being uh, what 90 years old has never you've never experienced what you're experiencing right now so let's discuss uh kind of where is the port right now with uh, some of the differences between what you guys are doing and what uh, some of the other ports here maybe in Texas or in, in our region, in the United States are doing.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, about four years ago, we embarked on a, on a strategic plan. And, um, we really had, like a lot of ports had, I don't want to say struggled, but had tried to find that, that proper balance of what we were going to do in the future, the next 20 years, even though Houston will continue to be the major, um, oil refining and oil generating port in the United States, we found areas where we can really take advantage of, of the particular assets that we have here. And, and those are really coming to fruition now. So we're seeing tremendous uh, growth uh, in our export crude market. Um, That is where we are. We are right now the number one port in the United States for exporting crude. And that all just started in December of 2015 when, uh, uh, Congress passed and the president signed uh, a bill that eliminated the prohibition on exporting crude. And since that day, uh, it's continued to ramp up. Uh, our customers, our industry here, um, are taking tremendous, uh, making making investments both in pipelines, and storage facilities and docks to be able to handle that. And we're going right along with them. So that's that's really been. Um, the muscle behind what what we've seen for the last uh, year and a half and what we project for the next uh, five to seven years.
1: Well, one of the things that really, um, it, it's easy to wrap my brain around is looking at the amount of exporting when, when you're discussing that, how much. You guys are actually exporting 51% of the entire crude in the United States as a result of the lifting of the export ban, correct?
4: Yes, Yep, that's correct.
1: And so in you know Little Corpus Christi <laughs> they are producing this massive amount of exporting um like we've never seen before. Um what was tell me a little give me some numbers like what was it before and what is it now that you guys are exporting in the way of barrels?
4: Well, we were um just to give you a number in in 2016 uh Per day, we were exporting about 148,000 barrels a day. Right now, we're exporting uh, in the first quarter, and that's the basis that I'm going by. First quarter, we were exporting 316,000 barrels a day, so we doubled the amount in one year. Um, And a lot of that is because some new pipelines that came on. I mentioned the the Permian, uh, and there's a lot of – obviously, the Permian is the premier uh, shale play uh, right now in – in the United States, if not in North America. Um, and they need access. Uh, they need access to deep draft ports, and they need access uh, um, to facilities that can handle that amount of crude that they want to move through there. So we're seeing uh, uh, not just the existing crude, but we're seeing uh, new pipelines being, being developed uh, over uh, the uh, – uh, both the oil and, and gas pipelines, uh, the, the volumes will probably increase to over a million barrels by next year. So we're just um, – the growth is, um, is, is sometimes hard to quantify uh, with the capacity of some of the pipelines that are um, underway or being projected.
1: Some of the research that I um, came upon was that you guys actually – I think it was last year. All together, exported over 11 million barrels, and that's from a couple of years before that. It was at 68,000. Uh, yeah, thousand almost so, zero. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it it it, yeah. it, it, it th- those kind of numbers. It's hard to understand how you ramp up to that and scale up to that, it, you know, in such a short period of time. But it makes sense of why you all are producing or exporting more than half. Of what's coming out of the United States it's, you've got to be efficient out there who are some of the new buyers that you guys are exporting out to
4: well um, our our customer base has really reached uh, well beyond what the traditional you know moving originally when when we looked at some of this we were assuming that a lot of this would flow north north south or south uh, into Latin America and a little bit to Europe but uh, uh, Europe is a major player, uh, and Asia is becoming more and more so. Uh, tremendous demand for crude in Asia—not um, just China, but Korea and um, Taiwan and Japan. So all of the, the major industrial powers in in Asia are uh, in in play for uh, Texas Texas
1: crude. Very interesting, John. We do have to take a quick break. You are listening to And the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network: Empowering
2: Women in Energy. Oil-Filled Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part any time for your automotive or oil-filled equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oil-filled parts for your fleet maintenance needs, Oil-Filled Experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. Oil-Filled Experts 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923.
1: And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is John LaRue, the executive director of the Porta Corpus Christi. Uh, John, before the break, we were discussing some of the recent new buyers uh, that are purchasing Crude from the United States and having it exported from the Port of Corpus Christi. And some of them were South Korea, India, Venezuela. Uh, This is definitely exciting times. Some of the things that I used to discuss on the radio show when we were making our way towards trying to get the ban lifted was how important it was for energy independence in the United States, where we were no longer... Uh, a country that was importing the majority, but also involved in the exporting. And it seems like we are there, and it seems like Corpus Christi, the port specifically, is uh, marching uh, towards that, obviously, the leader in this area. But I want to just switch gears just a little bit and talk a little bit about the overall port and its uh, capacity. So it doesn't just export oil and gas. You're also, you've always been a port for 90 years. So you have focused on refinery and LNG. Can, can you talk to me a little bit about that, those different products that you're promoting?
4: Absolutely. Yeah, we have, um, you know, three major refiners here that have been the, the backbone of the port, uh, both for the employment sector and for the for the revenue base for the, for this community. And that's uh Flint Hills, which is owned by Coke industries, Valero, uh, and, and Sitco. And the three of them, uh, are still very active, uh, in, in the refining area. They've made significant investments over the past three years to be able to, to modify their, um, facilities to be able to handle the Eagleford and the lighter crudes that are here. They were, they were originally set up, uh, to to, uh, to handle heavy crudes. Uh, and now with obviously the uh, fa- the fines that we've had in the Eagle Ford uh, they're going to take advantage of that and and that that's resulted in obvi- in a, a downturn in our import a significant downturn in our imported oil here, uh, which isn't a bad thing. They're, they're buying their crude at a better price because it's only 70 miles away. Uh, instead of having to do worldwide shipping with it. So that part of our economy and of the port continues, and and, uh, we see that continuing for quite a while. And uh, probably two of those three will be somewhat energy, I I would use your word, energy independent, uh, fairly soon, in the next couple of years, where they will not need to import a lot of oil. Uh, They may need to do some just for mixing, but the vast majority will be – U.S. or North American crude. It could be even Canadian at some point. Um, we've also had a, a tremendous amount of uh, foreign direct investment in our port. Uh, we've got significant investment from China with a, a company called TPCO, which is a Tinjin pipe company, $1.3 billion oil and gas pipe plant that will come online by the end of this year. Uh, we've got a significant investment from a company called m Plastics, which is from Italy, and they make PET, which is the material used in making plastic bottles and carpets and other things, and they're building the world's largest PET plant on our ship channel. And they will use the ship channel, but an important part of, of any port and more so becoming part of ours is uh, rail access. So they'll move 15,000 rail cars a year. So we've, along with TxDOT, have invested over $48 million in new rail facilities to be able to accommodate them and other customers. Uh, We've got an Austrian steelmaker called First Alpini, and they're up and operating. Uh, They're importing 2.5 million tons of iron ore. They process that iron ore, make it into a product that's more environmentally friendly for making steel, principally for the auto industry, and they're shipping 70% of that back to... Austria to their main plant in Linz, Austria, but they're selling to U.S. plants, uh, moving it by barge in the Mississippi River system, and they're selling into Mexico to companies like AMSA. So that plant is really a multidimensional plant. So we've seen um, overall right now, if you count in Chenier, and I didn't talk about Chenier, but Chenier's the the final piece of that. That's a a $10 billion LNG plant that will open uh, in the first quarter of 2019. Uh, if you count in the Chenier ten billion and the other investments I talked about with the refineries and these new companies, we have over fifty billion dollars of new investment going into the ground. That's probably more than most states. Uh, it's a, when you think about that number. So it, the good thing for us and for Texas is it's all capital intensive. So these companies are screwing themselves into the ground. They're going to be here. They're going to be in Texas. They're going to be paying taxes. They're going to be creating jobs. So it is a it is a true success story for uh, Corpus Christi, for Texas, and for the country.
1: Very interesting times in Corpus Christi, wonderful times for Corpus Christi. Yes, it is. We do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
0: Hey, oil and gas friends, Alvin Bailey here. You know, every week, Kim and I work really hard to bring you up to speed with what's going on out here in the Texas oil patch. I also want to take just a minute to talk to you about your fleet needs. Whether you have one truck or 1,000 trucks in your fleet, I can help you. Call me when you have a minute, and let's talk trucks. Did you know that the k Auto Group offers pickup and delivery right from our service departments? and I'll bring the dealership right to your desk. You don't need to drop what you're doing and come waste hours and hours of your valuable time haggling over pennies. I have a very transparent process with a simple pricing formula that ensures you're always gonna get a very competitive price and the very best service available in the industry. So call me today, area code 830-480-3656. Again, 830-480-3656 and let's talk
1: and we're back you are listening to in the oil patch radio show our guest today is john larue the executive director of the port of corpus christi and john before the break we were discussing all the things that are happening at the port on an international level. But I wanted to just switch gears and talk a little bit about some of the things that have been making the news as of right now. Um, we've had a lot, you've had a lot of media attention with a couple of really big things. Uh, the super tanker that left, uh, a vessel left and, and, and docked in China. And then of course, the ExxonMobil deal. So I want to take one at a time. Talk to me a little bit about ExxonMobil.
4: Yes, that's, uh, that's truly a mega deal. Uh, ExxonMobil is building a A $10 billion plant. They've selected a site in, as you mentioned, in in San Pat County. And um, uh, they're going through their permitting right now. That'll probably take them into the third quarter of 2018. So construction's a year and a half away. But uh, the significant aspects for them in in selecting that area, they needed 1,000 acres, which there aren't many sites around the United States. Uh, They needed access to the ship channel. They didn't need to be on it. So uh, we are able to provide them with that. They need to move some huge components while they're building the plant. So they'll be using uh, a dock that we will construct for them at our La Quinta site. Uh, they also need a dock to move out some of their finished products. And um, we had uh, a, faci- uh, a a site where we could provide them that kind of access. Uh, they are, as you know, one of the premier, if not the premier corporations in the United States they wanted they wanted an area where they could work with the community where there was air and quality, air and water quality were at a high level and they get that at this site. so we ticked off a lot of uh, a lot of what they needed. Uh, it wasn't easy. it was a very uh, competitive situation with some other sites in the United States, but we were fortunate enough to to get them to sign on.
1: Let's talk about, um, well, good, good news for, for everybody in Corpus, but let's talk about the super tanker that left, Anne. Um, yes. Let's talk about how how did that go? I mean, of course, it made media attention. It was the first for Corpus Christi. But give me the amount of of, uh, of barrels this uh, vessel can hold. Um, I know it was stuck out uh, in the ocean for a little bit because Corpus was experiencing some bad weather. Tell me a little bit about that process. How, how yeah, was it? Yeah,
4: it was— It was really a demonstration from Occidental Petroleum, and we, the port had sold Occidental Petroleum uh, Naval Station Ingleside, which was closed by the Navy uh, back uh, in the first uh, about five, seven years ago. We ended up getting that base back because we had originally owned the land, so when it it closed, it reverted to the port. We turned around and sold that to, to Occidental because they told us, and they've fulfilled everything they told us that they were going to make this the premier energy site for their company and one of the premier sites for any company in the United States and they've done that. So, uh Oxy is uh is is one of the ones that's looking to move as much crude as they can possibly handle through that site. They have a connection to the by pipeline to the Permian and they wanted to uh they're one of the ones really pushing us on on getting to 52 feet. Uh, we're at 45 feet, and those extra seven feet can make them so much more competitive in in the world markets, being able to compete uh, with the Middle Eastern and the European and the South American and the Russian oil companies. So they need that. And what they were doing there was was showing the world, okay, this dock can handle a VLCC vessel. Uh, it can handle it, and if if we had to, we could put. Um, put over a million barrels onto that vessel. Uh, they, they actually didn't move any oil in or out with it because they uh, didn't have the loading arms in place and they're still developing that. But it was more of a, um, a demonstration and, and a wake-up call to, uh, not to industry, but to the U.S. government and others that, hey, we need to get this project done. Uh, we need to get this ship channel dredged. And the sooner you do it, the the sooner we'll be able to be more competitive. And when we're more competitive, that means, as I mentioned before, good things for the U.S. on. We're exporting, we're lowering our trade deficit, and we're creating jobs in the United States.
1: Now, John, one of the things that President Trump— has uh, very much been vocal on is um, that we need to move towards not just energy independence but energy dominance. And I know that it seems like the Port of Corpus Christi, especially under your leadership for the last twenty years, has been on this you know march to to do everything right to get ready for that day when that day comes.
4: Well, you're absolutely right. we We have our our commitment. We've got one hundred and forty million dollars set aside in our reserves to pay for our share of this. And what we need right now is is Washington to just um, do what they're supposed to do for a project that's of this significance and appropriate sufficient funds to get this project started. So we've been up there uh, several times this year. Uh, we've met with our congressional delegation and our two senators. They're all on board. Uh, they're pushing for it. We're pushing both uh, the Corps of Engineers and the Office of Management and Budget and trying to get them to understand that this is not just a normal dredging project where you uh, uh, are going to increase the competitiveness of a port that's going to be handling, let's say, containers that are imported from somewhere around the world. And they're going to be competing on the East coast. You know, there's 15 ports that do that. Uh, This is a totally different type of, of project because it has such a, national and international significance, and, and you said it, it can really lead, be the first major step in the U.S. having a dominant position uh, on, the, on crude around the world, and also LNG. Uh, Chenier and others, uh, for instance, when we were there, we talked to several uh, members of Congress and senators and was pointed out that com- countries like Lithuania uh, have just built um, LNG import facilities. And they're starting to buy LNG from the United States from Chenier. And that means they're a little more independent uh, from their existing sources that are from Russia and Eastern Europe, that they have a lot more ability uh, getting U.S. Uh, LNG uh, to be have some economic and national security place. So it's, it's more than just um, – a trade deficit issue for the U.S. It's really a national security and an economic security issue, too.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. John, we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back.
3: Have you heard of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, the largest state association in the country? 87 years strong, serving independence, and it's right here in Texas. Offices in Houston, Austin, and Wichita Falls. Over 3,000 members of all ages like you who are in the oil and gas industry or who have family members and friends who are. Company members range from one employee to large independents. Lobbying, networking events, and saving you money. For a membership tailored just to fit your budget, contact Sandy Simon at S-A-N-D-I-S at TexasAlliance.org or call 281-997-7223. That's 281-997-7223.
0: You know, great companies take great care of their employees. Ensure the well-being of your workforce with Baptist Healthy Solutions. Your answer to convenient and affordable health care that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired till the day they retire. From pre-employment screenings to routine immunizations to on-site injury care and more, trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your workforce health care needs. Healthcare that comes to you. Call 866 334 2485. Again, that's 1 866 334 2485.
1: And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is John LaRue for the Port of Corpus Christi. One of the uh, vessels that just left left to China, or, or believe we believe it docked in China. Can you talk to me a little bit about what happened there?
4: Well, we're starting to see um, a lot more competitive aspects for crude from the Permian and Eagle for going to uh, Asia in particular to China the Chinese have a, a tremendous demand for natural gas and for crude and um, as we as we open up more with uh, with more facilities here in the port uh, we've got probably five or six different companies that are exporting crude right now from Corpus Christi we're going to see more and more from for China. And then, you know, in the long run, that's a good thing, uh, that we're not, not just buying Chinese products that are coming in and, in containers, but they're buying base commodities that they need uh, to do every They seem to be getting away a bit from, from coal. They're going more to natural gas. They're going more to crude. And I think it's a tremendous advantage for the U.S. to use um, crude in a, in a positive way. Uh, from a national security and an economic security point of view, um, we saw that I'll give you a, a quick example on the on the other side of the world with uh, the First Opini uh, Steel Company. One of the they looked worldwide where they were going to build this one billion dollar steel plant, and one of the they picked, picked Corpus Christi because we had a, the usual issues. We had a, we had a channel, we're uncongested, uh, we have clean air and clean water. But the other thing was we have Natural gas that is not just readily available and cheap, but that they feel a very stable economy and political system. And if they had built that plant in other parts of the world, they wouldn't have felt that. They know that there are other parts of the world where the, uh, the economies and the governments uh, may play politics with fossil fuels, with natural gas or with oil. And they don't see that happening in the U.S. So that's one of the reasons why they built that. And I think that gives us an advantage uh, uh, all over Texas, not just Corpus Christi, but all over Texas in attracting industry from around the world. We, the community, are working with TxDOT and Federal Highway Administration on a brand new bridge. It's over a billion dollars. The existing bridge has a clearance of 138 feet for the ship channel. This new bridge we'll have a clearance of 210 feet. So a a significant increase in clearance, which will mean in the future as vessel sizes change. And if you could, you can go online and look at the size of vessels from 50 years ago and look at it today. And it, it's mind blowing the difference between them. So we know things are going to change. We know we will be ready. The existing bridge uh, has some safety concerns for the long term, not right now, but, uh, They would have to do a significant investment. So this bridge will provide that long-term stability for the port with having 210 feet of clearance. And it also provides for San Patricio County because it's the link from Corpus Christi to San Patricio County, where a lot of our new industry is.
1: Well, I have seen some of the pictures, and while it is amazing, it looks just absolutely beautiful, and it is going to be beautiful. The the, the way that they have created it, the, the, the architect of it, is just absolutely beautiful, but... Uh, I would imagine it's probably pretty scary going that high up and crossing in a vehicle. Um, And, you know, while we're winding down the show, I just want to say that, you know, I do have a vested interest in, in Corpus Christi. I'm very proud to see the work that the port, the port commissioners, executive leadership like yourself and Sean are doing to really bring this city uh, to and and the port to the very best it can be providing hundreds and thousands of jobs as well this is really where are we going to be in five years from now with the port
4: well um, I think we will more than um, if we're if we're going to move let's say 500,000 barrels of of crude per day this year average uh, we will be in five years we'll probably triple that amount. I think we'll be at a million and a half barrels a day. And the economic impact for, again, uh, while our focus is here in Corpus Christi for the whole state, for the people who live and work in places like Midland, Texas, where the Permian is is sort of headquartered, or in the Eagleford, and the companies that are, are doing this, the companies in San Antonio and Dallas and Houston, who are the prime movers of this, is it's it's going to be a tremendous plus for everybody. Companies like Exxon will be hiring 800 people to work at that plant. While that doesn't sound to some people like a lot, those jobs are all in the 90 to $100,000 range. So it's not, um, not 2,000 jobs and the salaries are $30,000. The economic impact of those jobs on the community is, uh, is, is very strong.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. Well, John, hopefully, uh, you know, I know you you can't stay at the port forever, but uh, good leadership is always necessary in, in Corpus Christi, so maybe a run for the mayor or city council might be in the future.
4: I don't know about that, but <laughs> thank you for the show. Always a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> thank you so much
1: for being a guest on our show today, and we look forward to having you back on in the near future. Anytime. Thanks, Kim.
0: Kim, great interview today with John LaRue from the Port of Corpus Christi. And John gets to be our trivia subject for today. It is time for trivia, and if you'd like to win a hundred dollar gift certificate to Fogo de Chow, all you have to do is be the first correct email response to the following question. And you want to email it to this email address, radio at shalemag.com. Again, that's radio at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. And if you're the first correct answer, you'll win a $100 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, the Brazilian steakhouse. And here's the question. Are you ready? We don't have a drum roll this week, but we're going to ask it anyway. John LaRue of the Port of Corpus Christi holds what position? What is his title? What is John's title with the Port of Corpus Christi? That's your trivia question for today. Be the first correct email to radio at shalemag.com and pick yourself up a $100 gift certificate to Fogo to Chow. Well, Kim, that's about going to wrap it this week. You know, be sure and, and like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash in the Oil Patch Radio Show on Twitter at shalemag. And Kim, until next week, adios. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.